Hello and welcome to the Pain Cave. My name is Jay Friedman. I am your host and I'm very happy to be back in the Pain Cave today. We have a very special guest calling in and what we're going to do today is talk about injury recovery but from a different perspective than I think most of us are used to thinking about recovering from injuries. Part of the reality of being endurance athletes or athletes in general is that we're all going to get injured at some point, most likely. And really recovering and and coming back from an injury is as much about overcoming the mental aspect of it as it is the physical aspect. And to help talk us through that today, we have Heidi Armstrong calling in. Heidi, welcome to the Pain Cave and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So Heidi, like I said, we're, we're going to talk a, a lot about kind of recovering from injury and the barriers to having that, that recovery go smoothly and, and how people can work through that, um, which I know is your professional focus. Can you tell us a little bit before we get started just about your background as an athlete and otherwise and how you got into this field of, of injury recovery and management? Sure, I'd be happy to. I'm an injury recovery coach and the founder of Injured Athletes Toolbox. And in one sentence, if I were to say what it is that I do, I teach injured athletes the essential tools for injury recovery that enable them to move from feeling frustrated and impatient and angry to feeling optimistic, patient, resilient, and motivated, which sets them up for a better mental recovery, which then in turn sets them up for a better physical recovery. And if we get in the way back machine, in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, I was an elite level mountain bike racer and I had a bad crash and a subsequent bad knee injury. And then I lost my identity. I had an existential crisis. I didn't know who I was without the hours that I spent every day riding my bike, without my friends that I used to train with and race with. And... I sat around and perseverated a lot about my injury and when was I going to get better and when was I going to get my old life back. And I'm a very easygoing person and pretty even tempered. And I got pretty angry and I had a short fuse and I was not dealing with my injury well. So uh, my roommate and best friend, who's like a sister to me, Christine is her name. We, I should say roommate at the time, uh, I had just had a knee surgery and I was supposed to be off of work with my knee elevated because my knee was approximately the size of a cantaloupe. And, <laughs> uh, and instead of doing that, I did something that was essential to our, our everyday living in the apartment, which was I took my cassette tape collection that I still had in the year 2000, and I was sitting on the floor with a wad of paper towels and a bottle of Windex cleaning my cassette tape collection because I was so <laughs> I was so anxious and frustrated and irritated and angry, and that's what I decided to do. That, that was the outlet it, you came up with, was cleaning the it, cassette it, tape. It is, because it had to be done. <laughs> so my best friend came home, she opened the door, and she looked at me on the floor, and she said, what? bloody hell are you doing? And I just looked up at her and said, I'm cleaning the cassette tape collection. And she said, I'm going to go in my bedroom for five minutes. And when I come out, we're going to have a talk. And I said, okay. So she sat down in front of me and she said, pointing to all of my detritus on the floor, my collection, my 
the the dirty paper towel. She said, you cannot do this anymore. This is not going to work for your recovery. And you, you have to find a different way to get through this injury. And I thought, well, that was really hard to hear. (laughs) (laughs) I certainly didn't know I was that bad off, but the next thing I thought was Heidi, don't say anything in your defense because you're stuck in a bottle right now and your best friend's reading the label and it takes a lot of love and courage to do that. So why don't you listen to her and try to get some help? And so I saw a psychotherapist. I had nobody else to talk to, no other injured athletes. So I was just navigating this on my own, found a psychotherapist, a new physical therapist, a new orthopedic surgeon. And I was in such bad shape mentally that they they recognized it right away and started recommending things for me to do, mostly for me to begin to use my brain other ways, uh, creative ways, ways that would, would just calm down my nervous system. And I began to feel better. And then those people that helped me started to refer their clients and patients to me. And so my orthopedic surgeon would call and say, hey, I have this patient who's an injured athlete. And they don't need psychotherapy at this point, but they really feel all alone. And they just need to know that there's somebody else out there who's been in the hole and knows the way out. Can I give them your phone number? So this went on for for more than a decade. Uh, And you you have a question, so go ahead, because there's... No, I was More just, to the story. Yeah, I was just going to say, so prior to this, did you have any experience with uh, maybe not psychotherapy, but as as a kind of a resource or, or was this more just like um, you were getting paired up with other injured people because you were an injured person and, and, and it was almost just part of your own recovery? Yes. Yeah, so I was I had no experience with psychotherapy. But what happened is the people that helped me saw me employ the tools that they were suggesting and dig out of this really deep mental hole from just like not wanting to wake up and go on to feeling like I got this right in the, in the midst of, an, of a recovery that ultimately took four and a half years. So I was able to deal with the uncertainty, the pain, uh, the disconnection that I had in my life and, and, and some of the anger and the impatience. I was able to deal with it with a lot of grace and they saw that and then realized, hey, this girl can help other people. Wow. So you said it was a very long recovery process. and It was. I mean, from from your standpoint, before we get into some of the kind of nuts and bolts, but was, mm-hmm. was it more, I mean, I'm sure the physical aspect of it, because I know you went through multiple surgeries, must have been, you know, the, the constant rehab and everything else must have been very difficult, but... I have to imagine that the mental side was at least as difficult, if not worse. It was. And to clarify, this was my first injury back in, in the late 90s, early 2000s that I at first did not deal with well or gracefully or effectively from a mental perspective. But I had another whole injury that led me to doing what I'm doing now as a profession. So we, we can get into that in a bit. But I the the mental and emotional part of recovering from an injury i believe is magnitudes harder than the physical part right. because people don't like to talk about those kinds of things they tend to be negative and painful and vulnerable and you can't see your emotional pain on an mri or an x-ray you can't point to it so therefore people are worried they're going to get judged about it and it's 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 not safe. We don't talk about it in our culture. Right. And the physical part of it is usually obvious. And so people can say, I broke my ankle. Okay. 
that's obvious. Um, but I'm, I'm feeling depressed or I'm feeling anxious or frustrated. I mean, these things are very subjective and therefore subject to people's judgment. Right. Right. What, what, out of curiosity, what did you do before this was a, a career for you? I mean, I know you were a professional athlete, but did you have an, another career before this? I, I did. So at the time that I had my first injury, I worked at Dell and I did server storage and network infrastructure design architecture for intelligence agencies in the government. Oh, wow. And then my, my second injury, I worked in the medical industry. So are you like an engineer by background or? I'm not. I'm a chemist. A chemist. Interesting. So that's interesting that you kind of had this hard science background and really were on the hardware side of things before this became. I mean, this is kind of a real calling for you, I guess. It is. And the way that I found my way to this type of profession is just learning to use other parts of my brain and learning to live in more than just one dimension, which is outside of the athlete dimension. Right. Well, that that's, I think, a kind of a key issue, and we might as well kind of start there. Because as you said, I think a lot of what the problem, I mean, speaking from my own experience and, and the experience of, you know, talking to friends of mine who have been injured and, and when I've been injured myself, I think much of the difficulty of dealing with being injured and just this, the idea of it is that so much, as you mentioned, of our identities as as people is tied up in kind of being an athlete and and what that means kind of in our day-to-day lives where the way we structure each day or each week is around, you know, training or nutrition or whatever it is, uh, but then also in, in the sense of kind of self-worth and the sense of purpose that being an athlete or training kind of gives us. And I think, again, from my own perspective, that the loss of that sense of purpose and the loss of that sense of identity is one of the main barriers to really having an effective injury recovery. It it absolutely is. Would you like me to talk a little yeah. bit more about that? Yeah, because I, okay. I think that's that's something that I think goes, like you said, I think that's something that goes overlooked. You know, it's it's oftentimes easy to to diagnose or or figure out what the, you know, the the quote unquote medical issue is or the, or the musculoskeletal injury, uh, and and you know the treatment plan may be straightforward or or, or maybe not. But we, I think we we overlook this this issue of identity and, and loss of it. And if if it's not addressed, I think that kind of can prolong the recovery even more. So yeah, can you ad- address that a little bit? Absolutely. And I think it would also be worth me talking a little bit about the research that I did, which. Oh, yeah, that would be great. Which feeds into the answer to this question. Okay. So after I had my second injury, which was at the end of 2010, I ended up as a patient at the Sedman Clinic in Vail, Colorado. And I was a physical therapy sitting on a bike between a guy who was 65 years old and learned how to ski before he even remembers. And then on my left was an active NFL football player. And we were all chatting. And what I realized is that we were all using the same words to describe what we were going through. And so I thought, okay, I'm facing a bunch of surgery and a year or more on my back. And so 
I want to do something productive with this time. And I decided to embark on research with a couple hundred injured athletes and they were ages 14 to 74. And I tried to pick every sport I could think of and every level within the sport. And I wanted to discover two things. What words are people using to describe their suffering and experience as an injured athlete? And then the people who came through their injury with gratitude and with more resilience that obviously had different habits, what were they doing differently? And so what I discovered is that it didn't matter the sex of the athlete or what activity they did or what their proficiency level was. People used the same words to describe their suffering. And so they talked about anger or sadness, they talked about frustration, they talked about impatient and they talked impatience and they talked about disconnection. And so uh, this this disconnection feeds into your original question, which is the loss of identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this disconnection both from your body, like this this tool and this body that you rely on to connect with your life in the outside world has let you down. And then you're also disconnected from your friends, your teammates, uh, people that you practice your sport with. And so what happens is that the more that we train and participate in our sport, the more our identity is wrapped around that. And it's what I call living in one dimension and, and using your brain in mostly one way. So you're all of your, uh, physical and emotional energy is invested in your sport. And so when that's gone, you have a void in your life. Mm -hmm. And so I think all of the things that I discovered in my research contribute to the loss of identity. So who am I without my sport? That's where I get my value. It's how I process my stress. Uh, it's in, it, in to dig a little bit deeper into the stress. And I see this over and over with my clients. It's not just current everyday stress, but it's the accumulation of the stress that's happened in your life. So maybe from your childhood or maybe bad relationships or maybe past trauma. So our sport can be used to process that as well and, and to kind of hold it down and keep it at, at a manageable level. Right. And when, in this case, the running is gone. All of those things bubble up. Right, right. And 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 you no longer have that outlet or that that management uh, or that way to manage kind of everything else that that's been going on or that does go on day to day. Yes, and and as as ultra runners, you invest a lot of time in training. So when you stand on the start line for a race, you feel more or less prepared to accept the impending challenge. But with an injury, the great majority of athletes are completely unprepared. So when the injury strikes, athletes are forced into this mental and physical race for which they're unprepared and ill-equipped to handle. And that also contributes to the identity crisis. Now, you raised a couple of uh, interesting points that I just wanted to kind of go a little bit off track to address with your research and and some of the things that you mentioned. One was you mentioned that you kind of worked with a wide variety of athletes across sports and ages and and, Mm -hmm. um, kind of levels of intensity. Is there, or did you notice, or did you show a difference between um, the way that professional athletes deal with injuries versus amateur athletes where our professional athletes 
are they better at compartmentalizing these things mentally and therefore have a, a better recovery or do they just have more resources or is it the other way and that you know so much of their even more of their life and their livelihood is tied up in it and that does that make it harder for them the fundamental words that athletes use to describe their suffering is universal regardless so it, regardless of the yes. level or or the the, yes. the ability Yes, yes. And so I can distill all my research down into the four words or five words that I used before. So that is absolutely universal. The way that people cope with it can be different, but it doesn't, there are no lines drawn between how professional athletes are able to cope with their injury from a mental and emotional perspective versus just an amateur athlete. Just because somebody is a professional athlete doesn't mean that they necessarily have access to the right tools to deal with the mental and emotional recovery. That's an interesting point to bring up because I think when we think about professional athletes and we think about, you know, in team sports, certainly the amount of resources dedicated, but, you know, when you read about or listen to interviews with individual professional athletes, just the teams of kind of experts or, or, um, the team that they put together to help them succeed, uh, which can often include sports psychologists and, and mental coaches and that sort of thing, we kind of assume that they're kind of tapping into resources that that some of us may not have access to. But mm-hmm. but you're saying that that might not be the case in this instance. Correct. Wow. Okay. The other question I, I had before we go back into the, the main kind of idea of injury recovery is you mentioned the disconnect from not just not just the disconnect from your yourself uh, and the the feeling that you're not as able or as self sufficient as normal, but also the disconnect from from your peer group, your social group that you know you may have defined yourself by. And when you started working in this field, social media was not quite the force in our in our day to day existence that it is now. I think. Yes. Do you find that the the kind of rise of social media or the the increased importance that it seems to play in our lives, is that a positive factor in terms of people remaining connected to their peer groups? Or do you find that it, it actually leads to more kind of frustration and resentment if people aren't connecting in the, in the right way? If I'm injured and I see everything that my friends are doing online, does that actually, is that a, a setback or does that, does that help in terms of staying connected to the people that we otherwise would be disconnected from? This is a great question. And the short answer is both. And what you mentioned in your question is uh, the right way. And so let me talk a little bit more about that. When an injured athlete has reached acceptance of their injury, so I'm talking about grieving the the loss of what they expected or or what they had with their sport when they've accepted the injury then the social media becomes okay it's not uh it's not necessarily fun but it's tolerable i don't find <laughs> clients at this point saying i have to deactivate my facebook account or my instagram right but if the injured athlete has not reached acceptance they will be more likely to be triggered by things that they see on social media. And so those are the people that will either not check Facebook or Instagram or whatever, or they'll just deactivate everything and disappear. 
So it just depends on where they are with mentally processing the injury. So let's talk a little bit then about how we can kind of progress towards that stage. I mean, we mentioned a lot of the things that, you know, athletes facing injury have to deal with loss of identity, uh, loss of interaction with their their peer group, their social group. And you mentioned those kind of key words that that you've identified in your research, depression and fear and anger. And, you know, it's the the way you describe it, the way you talk about it and and kind of frame it, it seems like dealing with almost any kind of loss in terms of a grieving process that has to lead to acceptance. So it a- absolutely is. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. H- how do you how do you get people or how do we as injured athletes get our minds into the the kind of frame of 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 leading towards acceptance? What are the steps that we can take? What are the steps that you guide some of your clients through uh, that can help us get to that point? I think the best way to answer this question is to talk a little bit about our nervous system and how it works, and then walk you through a case study of a client who's a runner. Okay, that's awesome, because I love the hard science. Let's do it. Yeah, and then use some of the words that she described on her journey and illustrate the transformation that she had and what she did to get there. Okay. So, you know, as a physician, we have the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. So for simplicity's sake, let's just say the sympathetic nervous system is like your nervous system's gas pedal. So it's your fight or flight response. Right. You might feel nauseous, uh, your heart races, your thoughts race, you might feel sweaty, etc. Your parasympathetic nervous system is like the, the brake pedal of your nervous system. So it's what helps calm you down. It does other things as well, but it, it can help calm you down. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that your nervous system is divided into two parts. And as an athlete, what do we do? We, we're, we're constantly in a sympathetic rut. We're, we're pushing, we're focusing, we're, uh, we're organizing, we're thinking about our next training session. We're just, we're driving forward in some way. And then when we get injured, we're anxious, we're stressed out, uh, we're lost, we're angry. And that just activates gas pedal of your nervous system over and over and over again. And so what happens is we end up in, I call it a sympathetic rut. Like Mm -hmm. we just, we feel anxious and frustrated and angry, which then feeds the, the response. And then we feel more frustrated and anxious and angry. And so it's just this cycle that never ends. And so what I do is work with people who let me know what their goals are and their fears and concerns and worries. And I work with them to create a training program, mental training program that they can follow every single day in place of perseveration and feeling angry and feeling frustrated. And so this program, and it's different for every client, followed over time will help disengage the sympathetic nervous system and engage the parasympathetic nervous system. And that is the place where people find some space and breathing room between their injury and their everyday life and themselves. And so they don't feel suffocated and crushed by the stress of the injury. Right. right. So, uh, 
I had a client who was in her early 30s. Uh, she was um, in the military and she was an elite level runner and she had a hip injury and she came to me feeling, and these are her words, hopeless, depressed, anxious, lost, sad and angry, lonely. Uh, she didn't know whether she wanted to have surgery or not. Is it worth it? Should I just deal with the pain for the rest of my life? And her goals were to decide whether to have surgery, to learn alternative ways to move, which is really, really important when we're injured. We still have to move in some way, even if it's yoga on the floor. We have to find some other way to move. Right. She wanted to find outlets to relieve stress, and she wanted to change and grow and evolve and learn from her injury. And I think that's a key thing is that a lot of athletes become the victims of their injury. Like, oh, this thing happened to me. You know, I, I tore my ACL or I, I tore my hip labrum. And we tend to adopt the victim mentality. But the beauty of injury is it gives us time to pause and learn whatever it is we're supposed to learn in that moment. And we all have something to learn from our injury. And so it can be a really harsh, forgiving teacher, but in the same way we have all had teachers when we were growing up that we kind of hated because they were really hard and their tests were really hard. <laughs> they challenged us and they made us grow and evolve, right? They right. made us into better people. So that that's your injury. So she and I spent a lot of time talking and she answered a lot of questions for me on paper. And so the program that we came up with for her included beginning a practice of daily meditation and she used the Headspace app. She had some things going on from her past. So I suggested that she go to psychotherapy and she went to a specific type of therapy called EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is really helpful for people that have had some kind of past trauma and even people that have anxiety and depression. And I've written a whole blog about this on my website and described it in detail and how it applies to injured athletes so people can go there and read that. Yeah, I'm going to link to that. Uh, that sounds good. And uh, I interviewed actually a ther an EMDR therapist for that blog. So it's very helpful. Uh, there were a few books that I suggested that she read. She was an avid reader. And so uh, she read uh, the book When Things Fall Apart. And she read the book Lost Connections. And she she read a bunch of other books of her own choosing. But she started with those. She learned how to swim for fitness, uh, had to use a pool buoy, but learned how to swim for fitness. And we created some goals around that too. So um, some distance goals, because mm -hmm. another thing that goes out the window when you're injured is your goals. Like your, your goal can be, I'm going to get off the sofa and walk to the toilet. Right. right? <laughs> you got to have some bigger goals than that. Um, she spent five to 10 minutes. She set a timer every day. And she would write down her frustrations and her anxieties. And I call it taking the mental trash out because all of that garbage sits in your head. And unless you have a way of getting it out, it will just build up and build up and build up. And so she would write down her frustrations and then she would rip that page out of the notebook and sometimes burn it, sometimes shred it, you know, cut it up with scissors. She'd get rid of it. And then she also kept a journal of, her daily activity, and then her progress with the recognition that when someone has surgery, the progress is very slow at first, and it can look a bit like a roller coaster, but 
that journal in particular has a lot of power in several ways. One is we all tend to say, oh, my recovery is going so slow. I'm not getting any better. But if you have a journal with evidence, and you it's can go remind- back and look at it's it. It's reminding you of the progress you're actually making. That's exactly right. So she could go back, look in her journal and say, yeah, a month ago I was on crutches and now I can walk around the block. Am I running marathons yet? No, but I'm getting better. And then I think the biggest thing that this kind of journal can do is help you help other people down the road. Because I tell all my clients, one day you will meet somebody who's going through the same thing that you're going through and they're going to look to you for information. And they're going to say, hey, I have to have the surgery. Where were you two months after surgery? What were you doing? And it's never healthy to exactly compare injury recoveries because they're all different. But it is helpful for people to have some kind of a gauge to be able to share that information with others. And this client has actually gone on to help other people already. So she did it really quickly. But uh, so the other thing that she did was she had a jar by her nightstand. And I believe that what we focus on grows. And so every morning she would wake up and write something that she was grateful for on that note card and then an inspirational quote on the back and put it in the jar. And so when she had days that were crappy, she would go back to that jar and look at it and focus on things that were positive and going right in her life. And then she also volunteered. I think that's that's a very powerful tool for overcoming the disconnection that we experience as injured athletes. And it takes the focus off of us mm-hmm. and puts it on something else that's needed. And so she ended up coaching. And uh, I helped her vet a physical therapist and then uh, worked with them to help her find other injury friendly ways to move. And then uh, she signed up for an art class as well. So some of these things she did every day, some of them were were ongoing, more long term things. But that was the gist of her program. And all of these things trained her to use her brain in other ways. So it, it trained her parasympathetic nervous system. So, uh, a couple of months ago, she said to me, before I started working with you, I had to run. Like it was, it was a necessity. People did not want to be around me if I couldn't run. Right. And she said, now I don't have to run. I get to run. And that's a gift. That's, that's really, that's gotta be gratifying to you because to to flip it on its head like that and to you know show somebody that this is it's a privilege and it's a it's um you know it, it's something that we should be grateful for the ability to do and not not to feel not to have it quite so bound up with the obligation which you know can lead to burnout and everything else in, in addition to making these recoveries much more difficult uh that that's that's I think where we'd all like to get to probably uh, in terms of the way that we view our relationship with the sport and, and with ourselves as athletes. Absolutely. So some of this, I think, ties into some of the kind of mental issues. I don't want to say mental issues, but some, some of the uh, mental or psychological challenges that a lot of endurance athletes deal with, even when we're not injured. You know, there's certainly a lot of overlap between uh, serious athletics or endurance athletics and 
kind of, I don't want to say OCD, but maybe kind of addictive behavior. I mean, in, in, it's a good addiction, but it's, it's an addiction just like anything else. And a lot of people will struggle with nutritional issues, eating disorders, and I think kind of recognizing some of the problems that, that you're focusing on in terms of, again, this, this kind of compulsion or the need to exercise and the way that it's tied up with our identities is important in, in overcoming some of those issues as well. It absolutely is. And I believe that if we have something in our life, whatever it is, it could running, cycling, you know, eating, drinking, whatever. If we have something in our life that we can't do without, then that's a place that we need to look deeper and ask questions about what is this thing doing to serve me and what are the feelings going on behind this driving it? Right. One of the things that I was kind of thinking about as I was preparing for this is is how we how do we recognize when we need help in dealing with an injury? How how what are what are the kind of warning signs or the kind of emotions or sensations that we experience that would say we're not dealing with this appropriately? We need to reach out to either a professional or like you said uh, another athlete who's been through something similar, what are the, mm-hmm. the, the things that we need to look out for that say we're not managing this well enough on our own? From a physical body feeling perspective, is your heart racing? Do you feel like hungry tigers are chasing you all the time? <laughs> are your thoughts racing? Do you, feel, do you have a low level of nausea? frequently. So these are all physical manifestations of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And from a mental and emotional perspective, do you find yourself wanting to go to sleep at night and not wake up in the morning? Uh, I'm not saying you have a plan, but if you have that feeling, that's a sign. Right. Uh, Do you, are you saying no to social obligations? Do you feel the need to pull the plug on your friends and your connections to the outside world. Right. That's a big one, right? It's just right. Is kind of making yourself more isolated. Yep. Yep. A lot of people will turn their focus onto their body, like body image and diet. Do you become obsessive about, I'm not running, so I can't consume as many calories. Does that become an obsession? And so I think anything that, that becomes an obsession and do you notice a change in your disposition? So are you, do you feel like you have a short fuse? Do you feel angry? Are you crying a lot? These are all things that are completely normal for somebody who's injured for a little while. I would say if they go on for longer than a week, maybe two weeks, from the first time you notice this, right. I mean, you, we, we all have to at some point be our own saving grace, Right. So if you start to feel any of these things, take a post-it note, write, write the date on it, put it on your refrigerator and tell yourself, if I don't feel better in two weeks, I'm going to get some help. Right. And that help can be me. That help can be a psychotherapist. That help can be a trusted friend. The problem, though, that a lot of injured athletes run into is they get shunned by their tribe. 
in in reality and, or is that more in their their own perception of of how they feel about themselves it's absolutely reality it's, it's yeah, I guess, absolutely reality i guess now that i think about it that's true right i mean you uh, if you know somebody's hurt you're not calling them for a run or a, or a ride or whatever and and right you you are you right. do lose contact at least in in some amount uh, when you're not having that daily kind of reach out and what are you doing? It, there's that. And there's also the fact that a lot of athletes' biggest fear is getting injured. And so they don't want to turn toward that fear and help the person that's injured because then they're going to be confronted with that fear. Oh, right. That's interesting. And so they they just end up disappearing. And so I can honestly say that I have not had a client that that this has not happened to huh. on on some level. And so the person that the injured athlete reaches out to may not be a running friend. It may not be a friend from their sport. It may be it may be a mother. It may be a cousin. It may be a friend outside of the sport. It may be a friend within the sport too. Uh but Keep an open mind about the person that you reach out to. And maybe you don't reach out to your, your friends at all. Maybe you just go straight to psychotherapy. Right. But I, I think um, to that end, the, the two specific types of therapy that are most helpful and most effective for injured athletes are EMDR, which I mentioned earlier, and then a type of therapy called internal family systems, also called parts therapy. And to anybody who's listening to this, who is interested in finding therapy, the Psychology Today website has a search tool where you can search by your zip code. And then you can also further search on therapists who use the modalities of EMDR and internal family systems. Hmm. Okay. And the reason I think they're so effective is because... There, there's also data to back this up, which is fantastic. Um, it's you're not just sitting around with a therapist talking about your problems because right. that that often doesn't make things a whole lot better. It can, in fact, make them worse. These specific types of therapy and people can read more about them. Actually rewire the way that your brain processes stress. So your your brain changes on a physical level by doing these types of therapies. Hmm. And like you said, that that's kind of turning off that sympathetic drive and, and kind of learning to activate the parasympathetic system a little bit more. You know, that's exactly. Uh, and and that's a, an issue even in, quote unquote, healthy athletes, uh, you know, having like you said, as athletes, we're we're constantly we constantly have some low level sympathetic drive turned on. Uh, and that that's led to a lot of what I think is still kind of nascent research in the field of uh, like adrenal fatigue and and kind of burnout uh, is yep. is just kind of constantly stressing that uh, adrenal axis and and uh, sympathetic system. You know, it it it's it's a finite system. It can only go on for so long. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, and and we know that the body follows the mind and. It's so important in a recovery to get your mind in the right place because your body is not going to heal properly if your mind is in a ditch of despair, or frustration, or anger, or whatever. And if you can't reach acceptance that you are injured and that you are facing a recovery, you're more likely to fall into this 
this cycle where you get you feel better and you decide, oh, okay, I feel better. I felt okay for a couple of weeks. I'm ready to go run again. And right. then go run and then you start hurting again. And then you stop and then you rest and you think you're better and you go back to running. I I liken this to a fire. So a fire's burning and then when it dies down, at first it dies down and it, there's no more flame, but there are embers that you may not see. Mm. And so that pile of embers can catch fire again, which is what happens when you don't recover all the way from your injury because you haven't reached acceptance. You haven't done the mental work to get out of the stitch of despair. You just want to run again to feel better. Right. But if you can do the mental work, you can let the fire die down to ashes before you get back out there and run again. And in that case, the flames aren't going to come back. The quote that I really loved from your website, and there's a lot of really great stuff on there. We'll link to uh, your your website in the episode notes. The, the one that really struck me as an athlete was um, it said, every tool you need for your mental recovery, you already learned from your athletic endeavors. Re- uh, recovery boils down to refocusing your focus, which Absolutely. I thought was, I, I mean, just recognizing the amount of kind of mental preparation and mental strength that it go that goes into being a, a an athlete and just learning it's it's really just shifting the priority and shifting the focus that is going to kind of lead to this acceptance and and this recovery that you're talking about I absolutely if if you can run an ultra you have absolutely every bit of focus and intensity and and grace and acceptance inside of you to deal with an injury. It's just kind of getting off of one track and getting into another track. Right. Right. And, you know, and I think part of it is, like you said, knowing when to ask for help, knowing when you just need, maybe you just need a little bit of guidance to kind of learn how to you know, switch tracks like that, but we, we all have the basis for it. And, but we, we may just not have the technique or the knowledge as to how to do it. Exactly. And, and maybe just you feel lost and you don't feel like you can do it yourself because you don't, the first step is always the hardest one to take. And when you're feeling lost and you're feeling depressed or anxious or any of these other things we've talked about, just taking that first step can be the very hardest thing. Heidi, before I let you go, I'm going to play the game that I play with all my guests on the show. We are going to take you to a desert island for one year and get your desert island picks. You have to give me what are you bringing to a desert island for a year? I I need one book, one album, one meal or one food, and one beer. One thing, I bring my knitting. Uh, oh, okay. One one of uh one of the things that's happened as a result of my injury and very long recovery is uh, a bunch of grandma hobbies. <laughs> uh, I don't sit around all day, but I, I, I had to do a fair amount of sitting. So I got into knitting. So I'd say I'd bring my knitting. You, before, uh, before you go, go on, actually, that just, just uh, to go back to something you had said earlier, we, we need to learn to move in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to have that same kind of release and kind of just to feel normal. How, how did that work for you? What, what were you, did you learn a new skill or did you learn to move in a different way that, that helped you along the way? 
I did. So I swam through half of college and okay. like most swimmers left the swimming pool and swore I'd never go back. <laughs> <Right>. and, <laughs> uh, and when I was aqua jogging as part of my rehabilitation from my most recent knee injury, my husband said, why don't you swim a few laps? And I looked at him, he was smoking crack. <laughs> because that's the worst thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's like punishment, right? <laughs> and so I swam a few laps. And at the time, I couldn't walk. And it, I swam a few laps. And I realized, hey, you know what? I don't have a disability in the swimming pool. Right. And so uh, I'm lucky enough to live in a city with a beautiful, cold, spring-fed pool with a natural bottom that's an eighth of a mile long. So that means no flip turns. Yeah. And so I started swimming there and I got into marathon swimming. So now I swim long distances and I can ride quite a bit as well, but there was a long time where I couldn't ride my bike on the road. I was trapped on the trainer inside, which was fine. Um, But I swim. But that's great. And not to speak for you, but my guess is that once you kind of remove the obligation from the swimming or remove the pressure or the, the outside expectation from it, it probably or, was or a lot more enjoyable. Or the stripe on the bottom of the pool. <laughs> the, right, exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. All right. So you're bringing your knitting. Uh, what are you going to yeah. read? What are you going to read for a year? I will read When Things Fall Apart. Okay. I, that's supposed to be a great book. I have not read it yet. It's fantastic. Okay. So we'll link to that. What's your what's your album that you're going to be listening to? Uh Crowded House Woodface. Wow. Going in the way back. Yes, I'm a huge Neil Finn fan. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Uh one food, one meal that you're going to bring. Hmm. Why is this so hard for an athlete? Oh, I don't know. Uh, this is easy for I'd me. I'd say I'd say I'd say pasta. Yeah. That's that's a that's a standby for sure. Good. And one beer? Do you drink beer? I'm not so into beer. I'd bring Prosecco. Oh, you, you're uh, you're speaking my wife's language right now. But you're in Austin, aren't you? Yes. That's a great beer scene there. It's a really, really good beer scene. So I'll, I'll have a beer every now and again, but it's just, I don't love it. Okay. That's, that's cool. Heidi, thank you so much for joining us today. This was, I think, really, really important for anyone who is currently struggling to kind of work their way through injury, or like I said, all of us at some point or another are going to need to address this problem, unfortunately. And I think kind of keeping in mind that there are techniques and there are ways to deal with it. And that, again, you're not alone, that other people have done this before and that it's been hard for everyone, but that there are ways to kind of address it. I think that's an important thing that people need to keep in mind. So thank you so much. You're most welcome. And I just want everyone to know that it can get better and your injury is a gift if you allow it to be. The website is injuredathletestoolbox.com. We will link to that on the episode notes for the show. Thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time in the pain cave, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Broken down and beaten up. The years have been long and tough, but I'm not dead. Happy now just to spend some time with friends and have a roof above my head. I'm not jaded, just been faded like a good old pair of jeans. Rusted like a proud old car that's drove a little too far and seen too much rain. But
Still young, and I was still young. 